Well, good morning, Village Church. If, uh, if I don't know you or you don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. I'm glad that you are with us. We um, have just finished up a very long sermon series in the book of Acts, which is one of the longer books in the New Testament, and uh, we are sort of making a transition this week into a summer series um, that is called We Are His. So as we've talked about the church and the life of the early church, we're going to spend the summer talking a little bit about who we are as a church. But it's not going to be about us, it's going to be about Him. Because we are who we are because He is who He is. Amen? This is what informs who we are, is, is who He is. It doesn't matter, in a sense, who we are. It matters who He is. And it only matters that we are because He is who He is. And everything that we pattern the life of our church after is patterned after Him. So we are His. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so we are. We are His, and so we reflect something of Him. And hopefully this summer as we walk through this sermon series, we will reflect more and more of Him. I sure have been praying that for a few months now. Speaking of prayer, um, you can learn a lot about a person by listening to them pray, can't you? You can learn a lot about what's important to someone by listening to them pray. So just do this with your kids, right? The kids are pretty simple. At night when you lay them down to bed, what is most important to kids? The stuff they pray for, right? Dear Jesus, thank you for mommy. Thank you for daddy. Thank you for the dog. Thank you for the cat. Well, anyway, not many people are thankful for cats, but I mean like thankful for the dog. Okay, I just lost two people. That's fine. I'm willing... I'm willing to sacrifice too. So, 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 but you listen to your kids and generally your kids are praying about like what happened to their day. Like, thank you that we got to do this. Thank you that we got to do that. Thank you that we got to see this person. You know, maybe they're praying for the missionary that your family like prays for around the dinner table. Like, you know what's important to a kid. It just spills out in their prayers. The same is true for adults. If you've ever been around my wife, you know that there's going to be a phrase that's going to come up as she's deep in prayer. She's praying with you. She's going to say something like, the battle has already been won. And when she prays, that phrase comes up all the time because my wife, it's important to her. She knows that there is a battle, a real one that's going on and that we want to honor Jesus into it. But ultimately, he's already had the victory. So we live our lives in light of the victory of Christ. Amen? Like, you're going to hear that as you hear my wife pray. You might have been around me praying, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Lord, thank you for this, and thank you for that, because I realize that there but for the grace of God go I. I am thankful for God's grace in my life, and it's just going to come out in the way that I pray. Have you noticed that? The things that are most important to people, they come out when they pray, and nowhere is this more true than the prayers of Jesus. There are three public prayers in the Gospel of John that Jesus prays out loud. And guess what? They're all about the same thing. The first one's in John chapter 11. It's um, at the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus says to Mary and Martha, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, This is a public prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. This is all, this moment is all about the glory of God. And that's why I'm praying this out loud so they hear and they know. 
Jesus did what he did and said what he said at the tomb of Lazarus so that people would recognize the glory of God. One chapter later, Jesus is teaching on this idea that he's going to be lifted up. He's going to be raised up, ultimately on, raised up, lifted up on the cross. And in verse 12 of chapter, verse 27 of chapter 12, it says, Now my soul is troubled, Jesus says, and what shall I say? And so Jesus, again, praying out loud, says, Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And then you have just six chapters later, I guess five if you're doing your math right. Here we are in John chapter 17. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, again, Jesus out loud praying his longest prayer we have recorded. is called the high priestly prayer. Jesus praying out loud, Father, the hour has come. The hour for Jesus to go to the cross. Glorify your son. That the son may glorify you. If you listen to the prayers of Jesus, it could not be more clear that the thing that's most important to Jesus is the glory of God. It, the word glory literally means to magnify, to make much of. And this is the idea when we talk about glorifying God, bringing glory to God as we want to magnify him. We want to make much of him. Actually, the root of the word is connected to this idea of the brightness of the moon and the stars. Seeing something clearly far away when you put a telescope on it and you can see it more clearly. It is far away and you put the telescope on it and you see it more clearly. You see its brilliance. And for a lot of people, God seems far away. And our job as Christians, one of the, our opportunities uh, as Christians is to, is, to, is to put the telescope lens in a sense from our lives on the life of Jesus to, to make him bright and to magnify him. To make much of him. In 1986, Halley's Comet circled our planet. So if you're a space nerd, you're going to love this part, right? I'm not a space nerd, but my dad is. My dad is literally a rocket scientist. That's what he does. He discovered an orbit. He's like, he's that guy, right? So when Halley's Comet came around, I was 12 years old, and he was, he was giddy because he was going to help me to, to see it. And so we went to what is now modern-day Foothill Ranch, right? Back then, it was just a ranch, you know? It was just like out in the middle of nowhere, but all these space nerds had gathered together to the darkest place in Southern Orange County, you know, and my dad bought and brought this great telescope that was better than all the other telescopes on that piece of dirt. And everyone wanted to come to our telescope because we were magnifying Halley's Comet. We saw it more clearly than anyone there. And I'm not super into stars and comets and stuff, but I'll never forget that because I did it with my dad. And everyone wanted to be around because they wanted to get a glimpse through our telescope to see the brightness, the glory, the magnificence of something that was so far away. The first priority of the life of Jesus was to make the life of God clear to those who felt he was far away. That they could see the splendor of God through the magnifying lens of the life of Christ. And Village Church, this 
is why this is the first priority in the life of the Village Church. Listen, we don't make our, our vision and our values for just random reasons. This, this is why. This is why we exist to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples. This is why. There's no other reason. It's not just because it sounds good or that was a good place to start. It's because this is the place we start. Because this is the place that Jesus started. We are who we are because he is who he is. And if bringing glory to God was the first priority of Jesus, what else would be the first priority to the life of the church? What else could possibly be the first priority of my life or of your life? So how did Jesus say that he would bring glory to God through his life? And what does that say about the way we might bring glory to God through our life and through the life of our church. Verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. How did Jesus say that he would bring glory to God? And again, if you're a Christian this morning, please don't miss this. The last couple of weeks as I've been reviewing this and going over it and putting this together, like I have realized from my own life, like I need to pause here for a moment. Like, if we say that our, our, our greatest priority is to bring glory to God, and I think we would all say amen to that, look, we're listening to what Jesus is saying about how he brings glory to God. That might inform the way we would also. So if, if, if you're not taking notes, or if you're not writing anything down, or if, if I'm just telling you, you should open it up, and you should write these things down, not because I'm saying them, but because Jesus is saying them. This is what Jesus says. That's a weighty thing about the way that he brings glory to God. Number one, Jesus brought glory to God through the unique purpose of his life. Jesus brought glory to God through the unique purpose of his life. The unique purpose of the life of Jesus was to show the world, listen, exactly what God is like as the God-man, fully God and fully man. And to show us how sinful people could have a relationship with God again through his sinless life and his substitutionary death and his resurrection. This was the unique purpose of the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus, the, the day in, day out, the 33-year life of Jesus brought glory to God because it involved revealing the perfect nature and character of God. And it also involved Jesus living the perfect life as a human being that you and I could never live on our behalf. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us in the earliest chapter of the book of John. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The only son, the one and only son, the unique son of God. Jesus had a unique purpose to his life. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And as we look at the telescope lens of the life of Jesus, we see the character and nature of God more clearly. 
But the death of Jesus also brought glory to God, of course, because it shows the depth of the love of God for human beings. To save them by his grace through his son. Chapter 3 of John's gospel, the verse that everyone knows who aren't even Christians. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever might believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, said, Father, the hour has come. What hour? The hour for Jesus to go to the cross. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you because you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life. Look, as we look through the telescope lens of the death of Jesus, we see the love of God more clearly. That's also the resurrection of Jesus. His life, his death, and his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus brought glory to God because it showed just how deep of love the Father has for people. That he not only wants them to be saved from their sin, but he wants to, to, to set them free to have relationship with him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus not only died, he rose to give us a life that we could never have otherwise. The life that's forgiven of sin and free to be in relationship with God again. And so as we look through the telescope lens of the, of the death of Jesus, rather the resurrection of Jesus, we see the power of God to reconcile sinful people to a sinless, perfect, holy God. And, and to prove that he could through the resurrection. It was, it was the proof, the evidence, if you will. You know, we too can bring glory to God, magnify God, make much of God through our unique purpose, through the unique purpose of our lives. This year as we um, wrapped up our Apprentice Academy, it was a number of weeks ago now, I guess, but we talked about this idea of a spiritual DNA. And I made a little slide for you, maybe hard to read, but that looks like a DNA molecule, doesn't it? I mean, maybe a simple version. Someone just said no, but you know, I mean, it was one of the youth group kids. It, it doesn't, okay? But this is, my, this is my version from what I can do on Microsoft Word, okay? So just go with it, okay? This is a DNA molecule, a part of one. But right, the, the idea is that, that you and I are all unique. Like, we can look at our spiritual DNA. We can get a, a, a glimpse of how God has uniquely created us as we look about uh, things that, that are true about our lives, like our favorite attribute of God. That probably says something about what God's created you for. That coupled with your favorite Bible verse or your favorite Bible character or your favorite story in the Bible, these all, these all make a difference. For me, one of my favorite characters is Caleb. I, I want to do this for a long time. I want to finish well. And, and there's a reason I think Caleb is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Maybe it's your most noticeable spiritual gift or your most noticeable natural gifting. Maybe it's a the spiritual mentor that meant the most to you. There's something about their life that you want to emulate because their DNA is not the same, but similar to yours. Maybe it's the most meaningful moment. There's a moment that you had in your walk with Christ that was very meaningful, and it shaped the rest of those moments. I mean, there's other things that could go in the strand, but I hope you see where I'm going. There are unique things about you and unique experiences that you've had. 
unique things that you love, unique things that you're drawn to, unique scriptures that mean the most to you, unique gifts that you've given, you've been given. Like you have a unique spiritual DNA. You have a unique purpose for your life. And Jesus wants you to live into it. And as you do, you bring glory to God. And that's true about us as a church. I mean, the Village Church exists to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus and declaring the good news about Jesus and displaying the life of Jesus. Look, there's a unique kind of disciple, in a sense, that we want to develop and deploy at the Village Church. Like, we have a somewhat unique DNA. Now, it's not that unique because I think all the churches of Christ should be focused in these kinds of directions, but we have seven unique biblical values, core values, and, and other churches might share some that are same and some that are different. We have a unique spiritual DNA as a church. Okay, if you can, if you can move past my excitement, just train your eyes on me for a second, and I, I want to tell you something. There will never be another you. There will never be another you, and there will never be another village church. There might be people like you, but there will never be another you. You have a unique spiritual DNA, and there will never be another village church. There might be a lot of churches like our church. We're part of a church network where there's a lot of churches like our church, but there will never, ever be another village church. Only you can bring glory to God in the unique way that he's created you. I wanted you to hear that again. Only you have the opportunity to bring glory to God in the unique way that he's created you. And only we as the village church in this time, in this place, in this culture, with these people, only we have the opportunity to bring glory to Jesus through the unique way that he's created the village church. And that's a really great thing. It's a really great opportunity. I hope you see it this morning. There's another way that Jesus brought glory to God and that we can bring glory to God as well. It's revealed in verses 6 through 8. Read them with me. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. The second way that Jesus brought glory to God that we can learn from this morning is this, that Jesus brought glory to God through the lives of those he discipled. Jesus brought glory to God through, through the unique purpose of his life, yes, but Jesus brought glory to God through the lives of those he discipled. And this is important. The Christian life is about discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Jesus modeled this to us from the beginning. Jesus discipled the 12 and the 70 and then some. <laughs> right. And this is what Christianity is about. And next week we're going to talk about growing and multiplying disciples. The question for this morning is, what can we learn from Jesus about how we bring glory to God in the way we make disciples. And again, this is going to look very familiar to you, and the, we are who we are because he is who he is. And it's undeniable from this prayer in John chapter 17. And if you want to disciple people, 
I would, I would suggest for the next few minutes, again, write these things down. Not because I'm saying them, because Jesus is saying them. And this is what Christianity is about, discipleship. The first thing we see is that we bring glory to God when we display the life of Jesus to those we disciple. When we live out our faith in front of the people that we disciple, when we actually do what we say. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world, Jesus says in John 17. Later on in verses 18 and 19, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is saying, I'm going to live a set-apart life so that they can see it. And so that they will too. Near the end, in verses 25 and 26, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and know that these whom you have sent me, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I'm going to continue to show to them, to display to them. This is what God is like. Jesus, the God-man, God in human flesh. And this is our opportunity to display the life of Jesus in all of the areas of our lives, in our relationships and in our marriage and in our family and through the way we steward our finances. And like, how would Jesus treat this relationship? How would he steward these things? How would he communicate these things? in this area of life? How would he live in that area of life? This is why this is a distinctive for us. We're about growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus, declaring the good news about Jesus, and displaying the life of Jesus. And this is why. And I want you to see that this morning. How much of the life of Jesus are we displaying to the people we are discipling? There's a second one this morning. We see it in verses 7 to 8, but it's this idea that we bring glory to God when we declare the word of Jesus to those we disciple. And again, I hope you see where this is going. I mean, this is not unique language. In a sense, it is to us, but like we're taking it from him. Like we are who we are because he is who he is. Verse 7 and 8. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. I have given them the words that you gave me. Jesus declaring the word of God to his disciples. This is how Jesus brought glory to God. Not just by living it out, but by saying it to them. And, and there is this sort of, I don't know why, it's a debate. Because <laughs> it feels like a both end in Christian circles where it's like, no, we're supposed to really live it out and let people see it. No, we're supposed to like speak it and let them hear it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, and we've been over this before, but like the idea that like preach the gospel and if necessary, you know, use words is, is not a really great idea because when we preach the gospel, it is necessary to use words. So yes, we are displaying the life of Jesus just like Jesus did to those around him, but we are declaring the words of Jesus just like he did to those around him. And so we get to speak the truth of the word of God into each other's lives. Into, again, relationships, into marriage, into faith, into finance, into work, into vocation, into parenting, motherhood, fatherhood. Like into outreach, into everything. The word of God speaks into it. 
That's why we're growing and multiplying disciples who are not only delighting in Jesus, but declaring the good news about Jesus. Again, I hope you see it. We are who we are because he is who he is. How much of the words of Jesus are we declaring to those we're discipling? We bring glory to God when we help those we disciple to delight in Jesus, number three. And again, I hope you see where this is going. This should be really obvious if you've been around the village church. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world. Why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You guys see this? I'm going to say it probably 10 times this morning. We are who we are because he is who he is. Delighting in Jesus. And if you look through the New Testament, you'd find that God's people delight in him through his word and through prayer and through fellowship and through singing. Those are the four main ways. Look at the New Testament. Don't take my word for it. Look at the New Testament. Those are the four ways that God's people most often delight in God. So it's not rocket science why, why we do what we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings as God's people. This is, this is what God's given us, and it's good. It's good. That's why we're growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus. This is where we get this. <laughs> How are we helping those we are discipling to delight in Jesus? And there's a fourth way. It hits one of our core values as the church. We bring glory to God when we pray for those we disciple to Jesus. A lot of this is outward oriented. It feels like, it feels like, hey, yeah, we're displaying the life of Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're living it out in front of people. We're declaring the words of Jesus. That is, we are speaking them to other people. But, but this one is the one that's sort of done in private. We're speaking to Jesus. I mean, maybe we're praying for them when we're praying around them. We're laying our hands on them. You might pray for someone after church this morning. You might gather around, a group of people might gather around someone and lay their hands and pray for them. We think that's wonderful. Please do. But oftentimes this happens as we're sort of, you know, going through our prayer list on a, on a morning after we've read through the scripture reading plan and we're praying for the people that are on our list and that we're discipling toward Jesus. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them. <laughs> you know what else he says? I'm not praying for the world. That's interesting but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The, the amount of time for God's people and the people that we are discipling. We pray for a few things, and I'm going to run through them quickly this morning for the sake of time. They're a whole other sermon in and of themselves, but we pray for their unity with other disciples. That's what Jesus prayed for, that they may be one even as we are one. If they're going to be discipled to Jesus— they're going to need other believers, other disciples to come alongside of them, outside of you. If you think you're the only one discipling someone, most often you're not. There's other people involved discipling them, and they're going to need to be unified together with those other believers also. Not just with you and not just with me. So they're going to need this, so we pray this for them. Especially in a world that's constantly trying to fragment Christians. Secondly, pray for their perseverance as disciples. That also will bring glory to God. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Of course, except for Judas, right? He's a little different story. But they will need to persevere as disciples, especially in a world that's giving them every temptation just to quit, to stop, to go backwards. Pray for their protection as disciples. This also brings glory to God. 
I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They will need protection from the influence of the world. I can't think of a time and a place where it's been, that's been more true. Like our children, they need protection from the world. Mothers and fathers and college students and youth, like our youth group students need protection from the way all that the world is trying to declare to them. Like if we are not discipling them, the world is, and it's not ashamed about it either. It's full bore. Have you noticed? They need protection from the world and the devil, their own flesh. Praying for them and pray for their transformation as disciples. That brings glory to God when we pray that they would be transformed into the image of the Son. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And they will need to see the sanctifying work of Jesus in their life. Don't we all want to see that? Don't we all want to see the ways that we are growing? And if you are discipling someone, beginning with your own kids or your grandkids, the people around you, the people in the life of our church, as we are discipling one another, we're going to want to see the transforming work of Christ in our lives and be encouraged about those things and pray those things over the people that you are discipling. And in this little section, isn't that the question? The question is, is there anyone who you can confidently say that you are discipling? That you are helping to delight in Jesus? That you're helping to declare the good news about Jesus? That you are helping to display the life of Jesus, to live a little bit more like him? Is there someone that you are intentionally discipling? For many of you, you're probably thinking of your children right now, and you should be thinking about them. That's your chief responsibility and mine. Maybe you're thinking about that person that's a little younger than you in years and in faith, and you're coming alongside them. Maybe you're thinking of a person that that's actually not super formal with, but maybe this would be a good opportunity to broach that conversation. There's one last way that Jesus brought glory to God. And that we should bring glory to God as well. And that's this, that Jesus brought glory to God through the lives of those, stick with me, that he discipled, that they would also disciple. Right? Jesus brought glory to God through the lives of those his disciples would disciple. This is, <laughs> this is the spiritual downline. Like, you ever been involved in one of those things? Where, like, you get in on the floor, on the, on the ground floor, like, you start selling Tupperware, and then everyone that sells it also gets a little piece of what you sell. Or maybe it's essential oils. Or maybe it's, come on, you know, you do it, you know? I mean, Dean and I, when we were early on, there's a guy that was mentoring me. They tried to get us in the long distance phone service. Remember that one? It was Excel. It's like, hey, if you get in with this one, then everyone that actually gets in with you, like, man, it's the downline, right? So we're all laughing, but like, there's some reality. I mean, I mean, there's some people that are, I mean, they're driving around pink cars and they're nice pink cars. You know what I mean? They are nice. Yeah. I met one of those people. You know, and astronaut, they tried to get me in their downline, and I know why they want me there, you know, because it's just, it's passive, right? It's passive ongoing, and we all laugh about it. We all laugh about this idea, like, what's the best income? Oh, man, the best income is passive income that you don't have to do a lot for, but it just keeps coming to you. You know, I, you know that's true about discipleship. I mean, I mean, it's a little crude analogy, but like, that's for real. 
Like there are people that you are discipling and now they are discipling other people. There's a guy in our church that lives in Texas now and it's not Sean Kennedy, okay? <laughs> Sean, hope you're listening. You know, so it's another guy who was here a long time ago and he went through our apprentice academy. <clears throat> he was trained up here in this church in many ways and he went off to Texas working with a nonprofit Christian organization. He came alongside... Um, a lead pastor in a church plant, kind of like uh, maybe Pastor Aaron came alongside me and us as pastors in the years before Aaron moved uh, to Vermont. And now he's the lead pastor of that church and he preaches on a regular basis. He leads that entire church and group of people here making disciples who make disciples. They have a similar doing with, with their people. That is passive kingdom return. Like, like there is glory that is going to be brought to, to Christ through the disciples that we disciple who actually make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And you know it compounds much better than your IRA. Like that kind of, especially today, I, I, mean, I mean, right? Are you with me? <laughs> I heard a laugh. Yeah, I mean, like it doesn't go backwards. Like there's never a downturn. Like it's always compounding. And I'm here to tell you, like, that, that's not a bad thing for you to think about. And you don't need to feel guilty for thinking about that. It's a wonderful thought. I mean, I wonder if people that, you know, have people in their downline feel a little guilty, like, ooh, they're all on my downline, and I'm driving this great car and everything. Maybe not. I don't know. But for this, there's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no, like, Jesus is saying, like, no, no, no. There are people that are going to believe in me through your name, and there's glory that's going to be brought to Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's something that you should rejoice in. So this stuff compounds on itself. I do not ask for those only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. And how would Jesus say this brings glory to God? Verse 21, that they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And this is why the important thing about the kind of discipleship that we do at the Village Church is keeping the main thing the main thing. This is why biblical authority and gospel centrality are our top two values. Do we have distinctives? Of course we do. If you're a village partner, you know what our distinctives are. Are we ashamed of our distinctives? We are not. Do we emphasize them all the time in everything? Sometimes we do because it's important to do, but this is what we emphasize, biblical authority and gospel centrality. Let's keep the main thing the main thing so that as we disciple one another and we move to other places in the country where you sweat on your back in April, I'm just saying, you might want to stick around here, you know? As we send people to other places, as we not only develop but deploy other disciples, like they're able to walk in unity with the people that are in their new context because it's all about the authority of Scripture and the centrality of the gospel, okay? As we wrap up this morning, this is all ultimately leading to a moment theologians literally call, here it is, glorification. Right? This is all ultimately leading to a moment that we call glorification because, because Paul said it in Romans. 
that one day that those that he justifies will also be glorified. That there's a day when we realize that we're made right with Christ and there's a day that we'll ultimately see him and, and we will be glorified. And he will be glorified when we are. It's all moving toward that direction. And Jesus gives us a glimpse in verse 24 when he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved them, you loved me before the foundation of the world, that I may be, that they may be where I am to see my glory that you have given me. We are literally all on our way to glory. We're all on our way to the, the, the place where Jesus is gonna be most magnified, most clear. <laughs> He's gonna be made much of in the greatest way and, and forever which I think leads us to our good news statement this morning, and I think it's something like this, that Jesus brought perfect glory to God through his life so we can bring glory to God through our lives, like on our way to glory. Village Church, we are who we are because he is who he is. The Village Church exists to glorify God because that's why Jesus exists. We are who we are because he is who he is. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning we say thank you. We're grateful that we are who we are because you are who you are. We thank you that you've created us in your image and likeness with dignity and value and worth. And so there's so much dignity and worth for every human being, regardless of if they're your disciples. But how much, how much more do we get to enjoy as your disciples? A better versions of ourselves because we're in Christ, because you've called us to yourself because now we model all the things of our life after your life, the most substantial and significant life there could ever be, there ever was, there ever will be. And so Lord, we just pause and say thank you that we get to be who we are because you are who you are and because, because you've called us to yourself. We get to be discipled to you, Jesus, transformed into your image and likeness. What an incredible blessing. And Lord, we thank you, and it makes us want to respond in worship. And so we do this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.